Thank you very much. Just before I start to talk about the psalm, I just want to say something in addition to what Richard said during the time of worship. I don't know about you, but I was very moved during that time of worship, and he was talking about the relentless nature of God's love, how God's love is, and I, is kind of never-ending and is faithful and is here every day. His love doesn't change, and I was so blessed as he was saying that. And I read an article this morning, and it triggered my memory as he was speaking. I read an article briefly about uh, the Victoria Falls in Africa. And one of the things it said was, <clears throat> not, many, not many British people go there. And if my facts are correct, the, one of the reasons is that part of it's in Zimbabwe and people don't like to visit there because of the regime. Uh, and I thought, God's love is, is as powerful as that. In fact, it's more powerful than the, that Victoria Falls. It's that relentless, powerful nature. It would be sad if not many people went there. And I thought, are we going there? Are you going there? Am I going there? Am I experiencing today something of that being at the equivalent of Victoria Falls in terms of God's love? And experiencing God's love? Or am I simply a spectator? If you fell into Victoria Falls, you'd be crushed to death, probably. If you fell into God's love, you'd be transformed to become like his son. And I just want to, again, echo the invitation that came out as Richard was speaking about to experience God's love. Because God's love is powerful, it's relentless, it's faithful, it does not change. Circumstances, as we know in life, they change. Tomorrow might be a bad day. Today might be a bad day. It might be a good day. Good things may happen. We don't know. But in the midst of that, God's love never changes. It's like an anchor to our souls. So I just wanted to echo something that Richard said before I began and and encourage us to experience for ourselves the powerful, relentless, faithful love of God. Okay, now I'm going to speak on Psalm 133 this morning. And so let's uh, read the psalm. The word should come up behind me on the screen. And the psalmist writes this, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Now as I speak this morning, various things are going to come up behind me, words and one or two pictures. So I wonder if, uh, looking at the first picture, I wonder if anyone knows who these two musicians are. Yeah, murmurs of yes we know. Perhaps some people don't know. In 1982, they released a very successful song together. Does anybody know what it was? Murmurs from over there somewhere. Yeah, okay, good. The song was nominated for a prestigious music award, and it was very successful, whether you like it or not, in both the United States and over here. The song was called, as someone called out, Ebony and Ivory. It was about racial harmony. Here are some of the lyrics. Ebony and Ivory... Live together in perfect harmony, side by side on my piano keyboard. Oh Lord, why don't we? It's a nice thought. 
It's a good question to ask. Why don't we live together in harmony in many areas of life? In fact, we may often experience the opposite of harmony, disharmony, disunity. A more recent song that I've heard describes that sense of alienation and disunity when the person sang another popular song. Maybe you will recognize it. Someone in the office I asked, they didn't know what it was, but you might know. Let's have a look at the words. Hello from the other side. I must have called a thousand times to tell you I'm sorry for everything that I've done. But when I call you, you never seem to be home. Hello from the outside. Speaks there of alienation, of something which has gone wrong, of some brokenness there. Recognize the song? Yeah, some of you do. Adele sang that song recently. We see plenty disunity in the world. Venezuela recently, there's been that civil unrest in Kenya as well to do with uh, uh, the the recent election being uh, annulled. North Korea, even this morning, uh, they've let off a nuclear bomb in the last uh, day or so. And the trouble that's going on there on a smaller scale, family members not speaking to one another. There's an expression that you may hear to do with football where you hear the manager has lost the dressing room. It doesn't mean he can't find where it is. It means that there's some disunity between him and the team. Disunity harbors grumbling. It harbors complaining, cries of unfairness. It develops a critical spirit. Gossip, backstabbing, anger, it brings about emotional pain, resentment, betrayal, even hatred. It is a lethal cocktail. And we see the importance of unity in life in general. So, for example, we have the United Kingdom. We have the United States. We have the United Nations. We have the Unite Union. We have United Airlines. We even have Leeds United. I brought that in for Neil's sake, although he's not here today, and for my son-in-law. And we have an enemy who specializes in disunity. He knows that the words that Jesus said are true. He knows that a house divided against itself will fall. Whether it's a nation. And all that recent trouble that's been on the news to do with Charlottesville and the statue of Robert E. Lee. It actually harks back over 150 years to the civil war that there was in America. So the effects of that are still being felt 150 years later. That disunity. And whether it's a community, a family, or church, it can have devastating effects. The Bible also describes the big problem as sin. An alienation from God, because sin brings about an alienation from God. We see that right at the beginning of humankind. When there was perfect harmony and perfect fellowship between God and man. But sin entered the world, disobedience, and then people hid, and strife soon came to the fore. And the gospel comes, fortunately, to undo that. So I want to say two simple things this morning, and hopefully encouragements. The first one is, live together in unity. Now what is unity? Well, unity is not uniformity. So did you notice, I know we had a small band this morning, if you could actually, well, we had a trio this morning. But did you notice, they did very well, by the way, did you notice that they did not wear the same clothes? 
You know, they didn't have the same t-shirts, they didn't have the same jeans, they didn't have the same shoes. They, they weren't uh, subject to uniformity. Now, imagine that we had a band up here, maybe half a dozen, and they were dressed with the same clothes. So they had the same t-shirts, same trousers, you know, looking very smart and spick and all that kind of thing. And yet, there was disunity. One was saying, actually, I'm not going to play on this song. I don't particularly like it. Another one was saying, actually, I'm going to sing my favorite song instead of the one that you want to do. It would be absolute chaos, wouldn't it? So unity is not uniformity. In fact, we have different instruments, different voices, different clothes, but unity of purpose that comes from unity of heart. And here in the church... We're very different individuals. Each person here is handcrafted by God himself. Even if you're an identical twin, you would have, as far as I'm aware, a different fingerprint from your twin. You may also have a different character. You might be more outgoing than your twin. So we are, as individuals, unique people. In the church here, we are very diverse. Just have a look around. Just have a look around. Yes. We're different shapes and sizes. Different nations we come from. Different hair color. Some have got more. Some have got less. Yeah. Different ages. Different different ethnic backgrounds. Different primary languages. Different interests in life. So there's a huge, amazing, wonderful variety. Unity is not uniformity. The Apostle Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, therefore, and he gives us a massive clue to unity here. Listen out for it. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete By being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. He gives us a key here from being united with Christ. The key to our unity is being united with Christ. Let me give you an illustration of that. Thank you very much to Amanda for bringing this for me. It's a tuning fork and I didn't get a chance to practice, but hopefully it will demonstrate what I want to illustrate. So let's see if it does. Here we go. Did you hear any of that? You did? Okay, let's try again. Okay, the point of that, the point of that is this, that the tuning fork gives out one note. And when you have your musical instrument, I'm not sure if this is a piano or a, or a guitar or I don't know. But anyway, if it was a piano... This would be what you would tune the piano to. If I had two pianos, I would tune it to the same note. If I had three pianos, I would tune it to the same note. If I had four pianos, I would tune it to exactly the same note. The Christian writer A.W. Tozer said this, and he puts it rather well. He said, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which one must individually bow. So 100 worshippers meeting together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart 
nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. In other words, he's saying, be tuned to Christ. That is the basis of our unity, when we are tuned to Christ. Who are you tuned to? Are you tuned to Christ? Or are you tuned to something else? Are you tuned to the grumbling in your own heart? And if we're honest, sometimes we fall victim to that, don't we? Being united with Christ is the key to our unity. Okay? Right? Does that mean in that case, oh, well, we are united with Christ, so we don't need to do anything. We can let go and let God as if nothing depends on us. Far from it. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 4 verse 3, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So this indicates that the Holy Spirit, he's not disharmonious. He's the one who brings about and fosters and develops and desires unity. Yes, he resists evil, we know that, but In the church, he wants to unite us as we submit to his ways. And there's a peace that the Holy Spirit brings. Are you living in that peace? Are you living in the peace of being united with Christ? Are you living in the peace of being part of the unity that exists in the church? Or are you holding on to some grievances? Are there issues that you're still wrestling with? Are there people that you're holding things against? Are there certain resentments that you might just have that every now and again they come up? That disturbs the sense of peace and disturbs the sense of unity. When we become Christians, we become members of the church, whether we like it or not. When you're born again, God places you in the church. God places you, and it's his intention that you are in relationship with other people within the church. Not a lone ranger. Not someone who, well, I am in Christ. I love the Lord. I don't need the church. I'm quite happy as I am just doing what I want to do. No, that's not the church. That's not what it means to be a Christian. You know, the Apostle Paul gives the example of the body. He says we are part of the body of Christ. It's such an amazing and helpful illustration. My finger is attached to the palm of my hand. The palm of my hand is attached to my arm. And it's all attached to my mind, to my brain. So that when I say put up one finger, it does exactly what it's told. If I say put up two fingers, it does exactly what it's told. If I say raise my arms, it does exactly what it's told. We're part of the body of Christ. We become members of the church. And there's no such thing as I will just have my own little Christian experience on my own. It's it's very unbiblical to say the least. In fact, I think it's pretty impossible To get back to the issue of grievances, should we happen to have a grievance against another member of the church that's disrupting our unity, then Jesus clearly tells us as a way of dealing with it. First of all, the question I would ask is this, is it something that love can cover? Now, if there is a failing that someone has, they fail to encourage me in some way or ignore me or I don't know what, some kind of minor thing that gets at me? Is it something that love can cover? 
Love can cover a multitude of sins. If you overlook an offense, it says in the Proverbs, you seek love. So can we overlook things? Other things that we can overlook through grace and kindness. Now, I appreciate some things are too serious for that and, and need dealing with very serious things. But Jesus also says this. Well, the Apostle Peter says, Above all, love each other deeply. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. So other things that I can overlook that will help to preserve the unity of the faith. And the unity that exists within the church. If not, Jesus says this. If your brother or sister sins against you, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. Now... Can I just say a few things here about that? Don't use social media. Don't use email. Don't send text messages. You know, we may laugh, but I'll tell you what, I've read enough, both on social media and in emails and in text messages, that I think that is so unhelpful. If you have something against one another, do not hide behind social media. Do not hide behind emails. Do not hide behind text messages. Jesus says, go and speak to the person on your own. That is how you should do it. Agreed? Are we all in agreement about that? Right, so when you're tempted to fire off an email, you probably aren't. I'm I'm speaking to myself. I get that. Okay. When Ron is tempted to fire off an email, Ron, just remind Ron, don't do it. Or post something on social media, don't do it. Or send a text message, it is so easy. I'm angry, I'm going to say something, off it goes. WhatsApp, Viber, text messages. What damage those things can do. Go and speak to the person and don't be cowardly and hide behind those other things. But go and speak to them. That's what Jesus says. It's a lot more helpful to do it. Because I think when we do something like that, we do it with a certain degree of humility as well. And it's good to reflect before we do things. Never do things in the heat of the moment. But let the thing dust settle a bit. <laughs> okay. To live together in unity, the psalmist tells us, is good and pleasant. Now, what kind of things are good and pleasant for you? What might be a good and pleasant experience for you? Here are a couple of good and pleasant experiences that I've had. Good and pleasant, the week before last, we went on holiday, the whole family, and I went crabbing on the beach with two of my grandchildren and Andy, my son. We didn't see any crabs. But it was good and We did see some tiddly fish. It was just good and pleasant. A couple of years ago, I walked my daughter up the aisle. It was good and pleasant. I loved it. It was a proud moment. And good and pleasant. I also did a little straw poll in the office. And I said to a few people in the office, can you think of something in your life experience which has been good and pleasant? Here are some of their answers. See, if you know some of the staff, you might like to try and guess who it was. Okay. One of the people said, eating at a pub on the beach on a lovely day. Just overlooking the sea. It was good and pleasant. 
Someone else said, a sunny day with his wife, enjoying a meal and a glass of wine, overlooking the beautiful Tuscan landscape. It was good and pleasant. Someone else said, a country walk through woods and fields with the dogs. And in brackets, providing they behave. It was a good and pleasant experience. When we live together in unity, it is good and pleasant. See, our unity reflects the mysterious unity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's a wholeness in the Trinity. There's a harmony. There's a mutual love. It's a mystery. I get that. But there's something about God's unity, his very nature, that when we live together in unity, it reflects something of who Almighty God is. So, as a means of maintaining and developing our unity, one of the things that we can do is we can seek the good of others. The Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 2, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Do you know, it is so easy to get wrapped up in myself. It is so easy to get wrapped up in my issues, my concerns, the things that trouble me, the things that I have done, it becomes so easy to be self-centered. And the difficulty with that is this, you're boring. Sorry, after two minutes, you're very boring. It just simply becomes a monologue. We want to have a conversation. And the Apostle Paul is talking about you know, looking to the interests of others. So we're to live together in unity, and it's so helpful to do that. So one of the things we can do is we can just say to someone, how are you? How are you doing? What did you do yesterday? Just to get to know someone. And it's such an enriching experience. Please, again, I'm talking to myself. Remind me when I'm having a monologue to say, stop, Ron, you're having a monologue here. Okay, move. let's move on. Second thing I want to say is this. Unity is precious. Psalmist writes, it is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, who is the high priest, down on the collar of his robe. Do you have any precious possessions? Perhaps a ring? Perhaps a picture? If the house burned down, what would be the one item that you would take out? Might it be a photo album? Your mobile phone? Something your child made? Something of sentimental value? The point is, if we have something that is precious to us, we tend to look after it. I've got something in my office. I didn't bring it down. I did think of bringing it down, but I thought, no, I don't want it getting damaged. I've got something in my office that one of my sons, Steve, made when he was 10 years old. So that's 20 years ago. And it's in my office. And it's a little pen holder. And I have it on my desk, and I have it blue tacked to the desk so it doesn't inadvertently get knocked over and broken. Is it valuable? No. Is it precious? Yes. To me, it is because of who made it. And so I put the occasional pen in there. 
The crown jewels are precious to the nation. They're locked up in the Tower of London behind bulletproof, sledgehammer-proof glass. There are cameras and alarms that surround it. It is guarded by armed guards 24-7. Why? Because they're precious to the nation. Our unity is precious. And it's compared to a special fragrant blend of aromas put together by an expert perfumer. When you read about the anointing oil that was to go on Aaron, it was prescribed by Almighty God what should go into it, all these fragrant things, and it was only to be used for the priesthood. It was, if you like, the super Chanel of the Old Testament. So it was used to anoint, to set apart the priests to minister before the Lord. It was precious and only to be used for the priests. It was to help set them apart for the service that they were to do in the temple and tabernacle. Our unity sets us apart to serve the Lord together in bringing the kingdom of God to planet earth. If we are in disunity, there is no way that we're going to bring the kingdom to planet earth. As a people and as a small church here in High Wycombe, King's Church High Wycombe, and our site in Hazelmere, our unity is so precious and so important because it speaks out into the world. And this anointing oil that the psalmist is talking about, it's merely a shadow picture of the anointing of the Holy Spirit that was given to Christ. Jesus' anointing is greater. And in Isaiah 61, Jesus quotes these words when he starts his ministry, when he says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he has anointed me. He has anointed me to set the prisoners free, recovery of sight to the blind, to comfort those who mourn. So Jesus has got a greater anointing to give beauty for ashes. So God sets us apart as well as his people. Now unity sets us apart and we can experience the anointing of Christ to bring good news to the poor. The the psalmist writes, It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. So Mount Hermon was a bigger mountain than Mount Zion, and a dew would fall upon it. And in that dry and dusty area, this dew was very important. Now the other day, it was several Sundays ago, when I got up, I went downstairs and I looked out of the kitchen window and I noticed something. I noticed there was a very heavy dew on the grass. And I knew I was going to speak on this and I thought, aha, I wonder if I can collect some of the dew from our garden. So I went out in my dressing gown. I don't know if the neighbors looking out the window, if they did, they thought, let's see up to. And I got some clean cloths and I got a glass there we are. And I just started to rub the grass. And then I squeezed the, the dew. And I did it several times. And I squeezed the dew into the glass. Just wanted to see what it was like. And then I drank the water that came from the dew. And I'm still alive. Uh, it tasted a bit grassy, I must confess. But... <laughs> 
if I was in a country where there was very little water, I'd tell you what, I would be very grateful for any dew that came upon me. The difference is the dew that we see in the grass evaporates. It gets burned up by the sun. But the psalmist tells us that God's blessing is eternal. God, unity in the church brings blessing, both quality and quantity. Now, I was driving down to work this week, as I do, and I frequently, and it's probably something to do with my age, listen to Radio 4. And so I was listening to Radio 4 on the way down, and there was a fascinating article on Radio 4. Uh, but I missed some of it, so when I got into the office, I had a look on the BBC website, and I managed to find it and listen to the whole thing. I listened to it several times. You may or you may not know that happiness is very important to governments. You may not feel like that. And governments commission happiness reports. So they have different criteria whereby they can judge the happiness levels of different nations. And normally the Scandinavian nations, for various reasons, come top. So Denmark frequently comes as one of the happiest places on earth. doesn't mean to say that everybody's happy, but there's a happiness report that comes out. And in the last happiness report that came out in 2012, they said this. Said, while basic living standards are essential for happiness, after the baseline has been met, happiness varies more with quality of human relationships than income. So yes, you need a basic standard of living, but when that's been met, the key thing to happiness is the quality of human relationships more than income. Very interesting, I thought. And they were interviewing the chief executive officer of the Happiness Research Institute in Copenhagen. He is one of the leading experts in global happiness. He's published two books. I've downloaded one onto my phone. And uh, very interesting, he said this. One of the best predictors of whether people are happy or not is whether they have this sense of belonging, this sense of togetherness, this sense of community. And I thought, wow, that is amazing but not surprising. This idea of community, this idea of togetherness, this idea of unity. Boy, the psalmist had it thousands of years ago before the happiness report. Now the interviewer said to the CEO, if you could just say one thing from all your research that would give us a lift, what would it be? This is what he said. I would focus on creating a greater sense of togetherness. Wow. That's amazing. To me, it just confirms exactly the kind of thing that the Bible says. So I call that fringe benefits. Happiness. Wow. Who doesn't want to be happy? So if happiness is a fringe benefit of our unity, then I'll tell you what, sign me up. Now, as I was preparing this as well, I didn't twig, because I'm a slow learner, that this is the day that we're launching our small groups. Because we are very keen on community. Yes, we meet together, a couple of hundred people on a Sunday, which is great, which we enjoy. And there's a sense of unity here and purpose and working together. But we also have small groups. And we're going to, in a moment, launch our small groups. And there are over 50 different small groups that can be signed up to. I was thinking back to my small group experiences of the past. Now, I can remember the very first small group that I was part of was my father-in-law's. And I can remember 
the house in which we met. Because in those days, it was only only the elders who ran small groups because we were smaller. And then uh, the second small group I was in was Jeff and Mims. They're not sitting here. I thought I saw Jeff earlier, but anyway. Um, Jeff and Mims small group. And I can remember the house where we met. And I can remember the Bible study we did. And I'm talking over 40 years ago. And we did a Bible study on the book of Nehemiah. And I can remember we had some really interesting interactive not disagreements, but just trying to tease out the meaning of the text and not necessarily agreeing about it. But one of the things it did for me was it gave me a desire to learn more. It gave me an interest in the Bible. Well, what does that really mean? And I've had that desire 40 years later, ever since. And I think the small group certainly sparked it off. The third small group I went into was another of the elders, Pete Flint and Trish. I remember being in their house as well. And I remember one of the things that was fulfilled in their small group. And it was from Psalm 150. Where it says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Now they had two budgies in their house. And whenever we started to sing, the budgies would join in. They didn't know the tune as well as we did. But hey, I do remember that. More recently than 30, 40 years ago, Joy and I had the privilege of running a small group in our house as we did that generosity series. And one of the blessings, I think, for us was getting to know people, getting to know something of that person's story and praying with them about it and sharing something of our life together. So how good, how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. It's like that precious anointing oil that comes down upon Aaron. It is like that dew of Hermon. It's where the Lord brings life, brings blessing. Life forevermore. So let's be those people who seek to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Let's realize that the unity that we so enjoy is so very precious. And let's make every effort to maintain it. And let's get together into community because there the Lord is going to bestow his blessing. Amen. Amen.